The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. More than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. This is Dr. Merrill, and I'm always so happy when you choose to spend your time with us. I, I really do appreciate it because I know how busy you are as, as a caregiver. So, you know, all of us know, or think we know anyway, a lot about divorce. But but let me ask you a question. And that is, do you, do you think that the plan you establish at the beginning of the divorce, when the divorce first happens, should stay the same kind of year after year, even though your children are getting older and the and their needs change as they get older. I want to ask you another question, and that is, how do you explain the divorce to your children? And should what you say be different to children of different ages? And should your explanation stay or how much detail or what you tell your children change as your children get older, all the way from infants to emerging adults? We have with us today a very special guest, and that is Dr. Robert Emery. He is the author of Two Homes, One Childhood, A Parenting Plan to Last a Lifetime, He's a professor of psychology and director of the Center for Children, Families, and the Law at the University of Virginia, and he has walked the walk. He has five children, um, but from two different marriages, and so he really understands, as my patients sometimes like to say to me, they, you know, you understand in your gut uh, what it really is like to experience this, and he has many suggestions for us. Um, his book is really fantastic and it presents a new way of looking at divorce and a new way of handling it with children and a new plan so I'm very excited to have him with us today. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Dr. Emery. I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you. So is shared custody really the best plan? Um, Might as well just start with a real easy question, eh? Um, (laughs) There's there's a lot of... (laughs) A lot of debate about shared custody, and certainly there are people who adamantly believe it's the the best plan for for kids, and and others who say it's just uh, too much back and forth. And um, you know, in, in, in my take on it is it's uh, the best plan for kids. I try to make it the best plan for kids, um, but it also can be the 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 worst plan for kids. So um, you know, you, you've got to try work really hard to make the conditions right to make shared custody joint custody, whatever you want to call it, work for kids. So what should parents, you know, do about a parenting plan through a divorce um, where you have children of different ages? I had someone the other day who has four children. You know, her youngest child is four and her oldest child is 15. I mean, how do you work out a situation like that? So, so the, the first thing that I, that I say uh, want to say about this, and it relates to the shared custody question too, is the what you want to do to working things out is work together as best you can with your children's other parent. And for lots of people, that's a, a crazy idea. They, they say, "Well, wait a minute, we're just getting divorced. I can't, I can't work with him. I can't work with her." Um, but my answer to that is. You know, uh, I understand the feeling. I understand how difficult it is. But you're going to be parenting kids for a long time, you know, whether they're young kids or they're old kids. You're, you're tied together 
for the rest of your life, really, um, through your kids. So, so you want to start working together now. You know, find a way to do it yourself. And, and sure, go ahead and get the help of a of a mediator or, or you know, a, a, you know, get some some legal advice. But in the end, you want to be you know doing this yourself. Collaborative law is another way to to, to go about it. So I'm a little confused because I always thought that. In the end, the court makes the decision. You know, they have these plans, whatever they call them, and they change from state to state. But basically, they have their plan, and that's basically what you do. You have a choice. You can do plan A, plan B. That's it. End of discussion. Um, is there a, is is that not true? I mean, is there a way to bring another type of plan uh, to the court that may be in the best interest of the children? Absolutely, 100%. You know, um, the the court is uh, the last place you want decisions to be made. And, and honestly, uh, judges will tell you it's the last place you want decisions to, to be made. Um, you know, there's nobody that knows what's better for your own children than parents themselves. Uh, and so, you know, again, it's tricky. There's lots of emotions involved, but parents want to make these decisions themselves. Just just in terms of stats, yeah, you know, in the best functioning courts, judges are making decisions for less than 1% of parents. 99% of people are working it out themselves, um, sometimes with the help of professionals, sometimes on their own. And even in the worst courts, that only that slides down to 90% of parents are making these decisions on their own. So, so you know, don't think that somebody who's wearing a black robe has a better answer for your kids than, than you do. Um, and, and that you isn't you alone, that's you and the kid's other parent. So how do you do that? I mean, I know you can't give specifics. Every situation is unique and different. But given that, you know, so in the example I just gave you of someone with four children that are, you know, a preschooler to, you know, an emerging adolescent, I mean, what kind of plan do you suggest? Can you do different plans for, like, the older children, different plans for the younger children? Uh, How do you work that out? Yeah, so it, it is complicated, and and parents need guidance, and that's one reason why I wrote uh, Two Homes, One Childhood is is as a guide for parents for for what to do with uh, with kids, and particularly with kids with with different ages. Um, and you know, a, a couple answers is that first of all, it's I don't have a one size fits all solution for everybody. Um, what I do is I I offer parents a range of suggestions about what you might consider doing, um, and I certainly do think that different plans are going to be appropriate, more or less appropriate for, for kids of different ages. And, and, and that's fine. Everybody doesn't have to be exactly on the same schedule. Now, if your four children are all teenagers, you know, there's a good chance they're going to want to be on a similar schedule, although there's bound to be one of them who has a mind of their own and wants something different. Um, but if, if you're talking about you know, you've got a baby and you've got a five-year-old and you've got a 12-year-old, not only might there be different wants, but there's going to be different needs. You know, babies need a lot more stability and consistency. Um, 12-year-olds can handle lots of change. Um, and so what I, what I do in two homes is I, you know, I talk about um, both uh, alternative schedules, but also the developmental needs of kids of different age and, and how these needs play out in a two-home situation to, to try to guide parents to crafting a solution that really works for them. And and I'm going to ask you about that just a little later in the show, but on, on a more general sense, I mean, as uh, being a parent is already at times overwhelming and confusing. And then when you're in a divorce, everybody, of course, has an opinion um, about what you should do. So how do, as a parent, you want to do the best job possible? How do you really determine and know what is in the best interest of your child or your children? It's uh, nobody actually has an answer for you. Now, if you come back to the joint custody arrangement, you know, if... Um, parents are able to keep kids out of the middle of their own stuff to cooperate reasonably well enough if they live in close close enough proximity to each other to make things logistically possible if you're not talking about a you know a very young child or sometimes an older teenager who doesn't want the back and forth 
you know, something, you know, a joint custody arrangement probably is going to work best for, for kids. And, and, but when I say joint custody, I'm not saying necessarily 50-50. I'm saying lots of time with, with both parents. So, so that's one starting point that lots of parents have questions about. But, uh, you know, again, that's a, that's a big if. You know, another thing that I, that I like to have parents understand, uh, and again, this is another reason why you want to do these things on your own, is you, know, you don't have to know. What you can do is you can craft a plan. You can say, okay, let's try this week-on, week-off arrangement and see if it works, and let's try it for a couple of months. And if it works well for our kids, that's great. And if it's a disaster, we're not going to stick with it. We're going to try something different. Um, and... Uh, and, and again, that's why you want to take control of your plan. You know, a, a judge isn't going to approach it that way. A ju- you know, a judge isn't going to say, "Let's try." A judge is going to say, "This is what you got to do." Um, and 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 a, a third and final point that I'd like to make, uh, just along that lines, Merle, is that um, you know, a, a big theme of two homes, one childhood is that I want plans that are going to grow and change as children's needs change uh, and as families' needs change over time. So whatever you craft for your two-year-old, that's sure going to change when he or she is four or five or starting elementary school. It, you know, it may change again as he gets into adolescence. She becomes a teenager, and, um, and by the time he or she's 16, 17, she's going to have opinions of her own about what she wants to do. I think it's really an outstanding point, and it sounds very simple, but it's a complete change of frame of reference that whatever you start out with is not necessarily what you want to end up with or need to end up with, and you can adjust as your children change and, and as as they mature and um, as their as their needs change, you know, so that you're actually responding to what the needs of the children are. Do, Dr. Emery, do you think that children should be included in in making these types of decisions? Uh, should kids be included? Um, yes and and no. Um, the, the, the yes part of it is is that uh, as with any major decision affecting their lives, we want kids to have uh, uh, input. And I don't that, that doesn't mean you say, do you want to live with me or do you want to live with your mother? That means, you know, this is what we're thinking about. How do you feel about this? You know, um, it, and maybe it doesn't even involve questioning. It involves more your observation and, and knowledge of, of the kids or just talking indirectly about it. So, so that's the kind of the, the yes part is um, you want to incorporate kids' wishes if they have them, what they have to say. Um, but in the end, um, parents are still parents and kids are still kids. And the kids aren't decision makers. And, and you don't task kids with an adult decision in the end is something that parents need to decide and take responsibility for. Okay, so uh, we're here with uh, Dr. Robert Emery. I'm sorry, I was so caught up in what he was saying and thinking about uh, what he was saying because it is a new um, frame of reference that we've not heard before that I just think is outstanding. We're here with Dr. Robert Emery. He is the author of Two Homes, One Childhood, A Parenting Plan to Last a Lifetime. When we return, I am going to ask Dr. Emery uh, more specific questions um, for suggestions for plans and also how you communicate the divorce to children at different ages, uh, and that includes emerging adults. So stay with us. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain in Involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. 
Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We're here with Dr. Robert Emery, who's the author of Two Homes, One Childhood, A Parenting Plan to Last a Lifetime. And we're talking about a new approach to divorce and divorce plans where they can they change and adjust according to your children's ages and according to your children's needs. So I want to now begin talking to Dr. Emery about, you know, specific kinds of ages and what his suggestions are um, for a plan that may meet the needs of the children um, based on their developmental age and also some tips on how to explain divorce to them. So, Dr. Emery, can we start out with preschoolers? Sure. So, preschoolers are getting close to the, if you're talking just about a a parenting plan, and, and by the way, um, I, I think your listeners may be interested to, to know that these days experts really refer to these, even though laws differ from state to state, uh, the arrangements you're making for your kids is, is parenting plans. And it's a term that I love because it keeps the focus where it should be. That's on parenting as opposed to terms like custody and visitation and some of those horrible terms. Um, so, uh, But saying that, so, so thinking about a parenting plan for a, a preschooler is when I think it's appropriate to begin to start thinking about sharing custody, something close to 50-50. That doesn't really work for, for younger kids. Um, and, and one thing to keep in mind with preschoolers um, is, you know, maybe that week-to-week plan that you hear so much about with joint custody isn't going to work for preschoolers because just because a week is really a long period of time when you're four years old. Um, I ask you, invite your listeners to go back to remember when they were four and remember how long time lasted then. Uh, that may be different if you have a bunch of older siblings that are traveling with you. Maybe that's okay, but but that's one consideration. And in terms of your question, Merle, about what to um, how to explain what's happening to uh, a preschooler, or first of all, if kids of any age, um, you know, I. I uh, ask parents a a good perspective is um, if your child asks questions about sex, you know, you want to give them accurate explanations, but simple explanations that are tailored both to their age and to their their really um, emotional needs. So uh, if a four-year-old asks you where, where babies come from, you say something like, oh, they come from mommy's tummy. You don't go into reproductive biology or talking about, you know, you know, passionate love. And and so, you know, your explanations for, for why you're splitting to a four-year-old is, is usually something simple, like we couldn't get along with each other, we weren't happy living in the same house together. Very simple like that. But um, one thing that we agree on is just how much we love you, and even though we're going to be living in two homes, we have a plan all worked out where you're going to be spending lots of time with mom and lots of time with dad, and you know, you're going to have your same friends. And, um, and because this is all hard for a, a preschooler to conceptualize, uh, I often invite parents to create calendars where they color in days so that the child can see things concretely. But it very quickly turns into a very practical and emotionally reassuring explanation for, for that preschooler. And, and sometimes uh, one thing to watch out for, sometimes preschoolers think, they're responsible for everything, so be prepared to tell your 
three, four, five-year-old that it's not your fault, um, as kids sometimes want to blame themselves. I, I like that suggestion of coloring in the calendar, and then I guess you can check days off um, because you're, you're right. They need things much more concrete, and it, it's it's hard to think through, well, you know, when am I going and where am I going? And I would assume they also have concerns about, you know, am I going to, you know, where am I going to go to school? preschool because my friends are there and do I still get to go to swimming lessons um, and and maybe those are good issues to address uh, when you're tell- talking to them. Let's kind of skip into um, adolescence uh, because that's always a troublesome time normally for adolescents. So I would think that a divorce, you know, is, is just very, very difficult for them. Yeah, so adolescence, again, if you're just thinking about a parenting plan, that's certainly where you see a lot of week on, week off. Uh, one thing, though, to be prepared for is, you know, adolescents sometimes, you know, rebel against that idea because there's not just mom's schedule and there's dad's schedule, but there's my schedule. And this is what I want because I, you know, I want to be able to be in touch with my friends. Um, and in terms of what you say to an adolescent, you know, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is don't make the mistake of knowing that the adolescent wants to, to hear a lot of details about what's gone on and why, and certainly they don't want to hear you saying that it's their mother's or father's fault. So, um, you know, you, uh, you, you can explain to an adolescent a little bit, you know, more detail. We, we, we don't love each other anymore. Or we don't love each other as husband and wife, even though we love each other as parents. Um, you might have to explain in a complicated situation that, and this is difficult, but it's true, I fell in love with somebody else. But again, that doesn't mean getting into details of, you know, either justifying why you loved and fell in love with somebody else or, you know, how that happened or certainly... You, you know, telling a child about their your ex's uh, affair and how devastated you were by it, because teenagers too want to love both their parents. They want to be reassured emotionally, and let's face it, teenagers want the focus to be on them, not on you. You know, teenagers don't. You know, if your parents are married, you don't want to know about your parent your parents' sex life, and you certainly don't want to know about their sex life if they've been divorced. Okay, so let's talk about um, emerging adults because actually until I read your book, I hadn't seen um, very much information at all about addressing uh, issues of divorce with uh, emerging adults. And yet it's a it's a critical issue because the rate of divorce among people as they age is increasing. Um, so we're seeing more and more divorces at a much, much later point in life. Um, and so I think it does impact emerging adults. Obviously, they don't necessarily need a parenting plan in terms of where they're going to live because they're usually outside the house at that point. Um, but how do you, what's your suggestions for dealing with emerging adults? So, again, you're right. They they obviously don't need a parenting plan. And if they're still living with you, the parenting plan I might consider is, you know, it's time to live on your own. I know lots of young people don't. Um, but uh, <laughs> Moving on out. <laughs> that, that's the rule in my house. Uh, but it has nothing to do with divorce, but it, only to do with growing up. Um, but, you know, besides that, um, you know, I think the thing to keep in mind is even though they are adults and even though they aren't as directly dependent on you, although young adults are dependent on their parents in lots of ways today, is they're still your kids. And they're still affected by uh, divorce. It's still difficult. They, they don't want to feel like they have to choose between their parents. Um, they don't want to feel like their childhood is a lie. Um, and they don't want to hear TMI about their parents' personal life. Too much information is too much information. Um, and uh, so um, they, they don't want to become your ally. They don't want to become your confidence. They want you to still be um, their parents, even though, of course, it's a more equal and a more human relationship. And, and, and they can offer you more support, but they're not your best friend. They're not your therapist. Um, so, so, you know, young adult kids are going to be affected, too. Yeah, and another thing to, to keep in mind is, is they do rely on 
us for for guidance and support uh, young people through the twenties, early thirties now, and or maybe they're they're struggling with um, some sort of uh, uh, problem in terms of career or drug or alcohol, and you know, divorced parents still might need to work together as parents, even though your kid is twenty five. So, uh, again, the, the big message, Merle, is um, you're right. We have kind of uh, forgotten about young adults when it comes to divorce, but we really need to pay attention to them because they're not children, but they're still your kid. Yeah, and I think they still like that home base of security, even though they're away, they're a dependent, they're doing great. I, I, I mean, I can remember when we were uh, going to sell our home and size down. Um, we told one of our children, "Oh, we're going to sell the house," and you know, we're and he was already away. He was living in New York. He was very independent, and his response was, "Well, well, what do you mean you're going to sell the house? You you can't sell the house." And we were like, yes, we can. It's our house. (laughs) So unless you're buying it, right? That's a a great example. And and, and in a concrete way, it conveys the thing. It's like, you can't sell the house. I want to hang on to my childhood. It's like, you can't get divorced because I want to hang on to all the memories and traditions. Um, And so it's, you know, it's selling a house with steroids, right? On steroids. Right. Um, Dr. Emery, it's been great having you with us. Uh, give us your uh, contact information. Tell us about your books, where we can get them. Uh, sure. Um, well, the, the new, books is, new book is called Two Homes, One Childhood, A Parenting Plan to Last a Lifetime. Um, and it's published by Avery. It's just out uh, this past summer. Uh, it'll be available in paperback, I think, uh, in, the, in the coming months. It's just available in hardback now. I have an earlier book for, for parents that um, uh, called uh, The Truth About Children and Divorce that really has a more of a focus on uh, both parents' emotional tasks and kind of some practical tasks for navigating your way through, uh, through divorce. Um, and that's available in, in paperback if your readers are interested, uh, your listeners are interested. Pardon me. Good enough. Thank you so much. Once again, it's Dr. Robert Emery, author of Two Homes, One Childhood. Um, It's been great having you with us, and thank you for changing our frame of reference um, and beginning to look at things a little differently. It, It was a great help. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities program just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. Are you a pet parent? Are you interested in a better understanding of the care and health of your best friend? Listen every week for Pet Panorama with Dr. Julie Mayer. Just as in your own personal health care, you can also take charge of the health care of your pet by exploring natural approaches to keep them healthy in addition to more conventional veterinary care. Don't you want them having the best life possible? Listen Fridays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We're here now with Terry Gaspar, uh, who is a social worker and a therapist and the co-author of the book, Daughters of Divorce, Overcome the Legacy of Your Parents' Breakup and Enjoy a Happy, Long-Lasting Relationship. Terry is a contributor to the Huffington Post, the GoodMenProject.com, and DivorceMom.com, among many, many other accomplishments. And I just want to say, because there's often a misinterpretation when people hear things like daughters of divorce, it's like, you know, I'm a guy, so maybe this isn't a show for me. It is a show for you. So if you have any contact with women, if you're a divorced father of a daughter, if you know a divorced father of a daughter, or you're a grandfather or an uncle, this is a very, very important show for you. So I hope you're going to stay with us. Welcome, Terry, to Call Between Generations. Thanks, Denise, and I appreciate your wonderful introduction because it's so true. In fact, Publishers Weekly said my book would be relevant for almost any individual who had experienced trauma like divorce or significant loss in their family. So I appreciate that. I, I think I would agree that. Having read the book, um, I would absolutely agree with that. So, well, normally I never ask someone why why they wrote a book. It's just not usually a question I ask. But I was very interested in that the co-author of your book is actually your daughter. Yeah. Um, so how did it come about that, that you and your daughter decided to write this book together? It literally happened over a cup of tea. When she was a young adult um, on a break from college and we were sitting in our dining room and she once again raised the question, why did my dad and you get a divorce? And it just, you know, although we had spoken about it on and off since she was eight years old and, you know, as you know, and you said I'm a therapist and I'm trained in that area and I've been writing and blogging about divorce for many years, I was struck by that, Denise, that she was still wanting to hear my version of it and looking for ways to heal from it, looking for ways to understand it better and wanting, you know, just more insights. And as a result of that conversation, which kind of took place over many weeks, we decided that women are more vulnerable. We believe they were. And I had done some research in the mid-90s for my master's dissertation at Rhode Island College. And I did find, and these were controlled studies. I did two of them. I did find differences in the self-esteem and interpersonal trust level between daughters of divorce and sons of divorce. And these were large studies that were published in the Journal of Divorce and Remarriage. So, you know, you can't talk about a study necessarily to your young adult daughter, but, you know, in that sense, like, she, she doesn't want to feel like a number. But I did say, Tracy, maybe we should start interviewing other daughters of divorce and see how they feel and try to better understand their take as adults, as young adults, about their parents' divorce and the impact it may be having on them and their relationships. It turns out that I'm a college teacher. I work at a community college as a psychology instructor in addition to everything else. So that was perfect. This was (laughs) in 2009, believe it or not. And I started gradually, with Tracy's help, interviewing. We ended up with a sample of 327 women. And wow. we, that's what helped us come up with the seven steps to a successful relationship because the sample, Denise, was varied. We had young women who felt that they had worked through some of the issues. Some of them were still in their early 20s, you know, but they felt like they had been in therapy and done some reading and, you know, spent some time as an adult, a young adult, having a better understanding of that question that Tracy asked and and really being able to work on some of their trust, self-esteem, and father-loss issues, which are three prominent themes in the book, as you know. Others were still struggling. But the, the most striking characteristic of the women that we met with, and some of them we met with many, many times, and we had groups. It, was, it became a real movement, I guess you could say, both on Facebook and, and in person, is that they were very eager to tell their stories. 
So they you really had a strong need for people to understand their view of things, and they wanted to get healed. They wanted to move on with their lives. Some of them were already, you know, engaged or thinking about getting married. Some of the women in the sample were a little older. They were, you know, returning students or some were friends, daughters, and that kind of thing. And it was it was really amazing to me how Tracy and I really just took off with the project. And she kept saying, Mom, why don't we self-publish? Because it's really hard to get an agent and get a publishing house, you know, to, to take you on, take us on. And I said, Tracy, I believe so much in this book. I'm willing to wait. So it took us a couple of years before we were able to put the proposal together and get an agent. But it was a beautiful experience, um, all those interviews and all the time with Tracy. So, Terry, it came together really nicely in that way. Oh, it did. It's a great book. Um, But let me ask you, because you've talked about low self-esteem and some other issues. You have, in your book, you refer to the sleeper effect. Can, yes. can you explain that to us? Yes, I can. The sleeper effect is a delayed reaction to your parents' divorce that is a significant issue for most young women. I'm not the only one that's documented this. The famous researcher Judith Wallerstein, who died a couple of years ago, but she's the most prolific researcher on adult children of divorce. She interviewed a sample of 66 families over a period of 25 years, same people every few years. So even though it wasn't a huge sample, this was a longitudinal, long-term study, and she found that most of the young women had a delayed reaction. In other words, when they were young and their parents divorced, they didn't react very strongly in a lot of cases because what happens is girls tend to identify with their mom and they often feel a loss if the, in most cases, not all, the dad might leave. They feel that they want to, in some ways, grow up fast, kind of take care of the situation, make sure everybody's okay. Women tend to have a tendency to be a little more people pleasers. And we overfunction in some ways and become like a little parentified children. Many of the women describe themselves as growing up really fast, being good students, being very independent, but still questioning, you know, what's going on with my personal relationships. So what happens with the sleeper effect is in late teenagehood or early adulthood, a lot of the women, most of the women that we question, and I think this is a really a interesting phenomenon, start questioning their own feelings about intimacy and trust and love. They start becoming more anxious about are their relationships going to end up like their parents. So some of them develop a fear of commitment. And they, they just go through short-term relationships or pick guys that are wrong for them because they know it's not going to work out. I interviewed a lot of women like that. And others like myself um, were nesters. We tend to glob on <laughs> and pick a relationship kind of quickly and stick with it, in some cases, even if it's not right for us because mm-hmm. we're, we have a fear of abandonment and we don't want to be alone. And that was another central theme with many of the women, too, a fear of abandonment and loss, um, especially if there was infidelity in the family um, or if their parents got a divorce quickly. But it is a fascinating phenomenon. Thanks for asking. Before the before the break, I want to ask you something that I found very striking in your book, because usually, you know, we're all usually talking about about women needing to be self reliant. That that's a really important characteristic mm-hmm. uh, that they, they be self reliant. But yet, in your book, you discuss self reliance as sometimes being almost like a negative. I mean, h- how can that be a, a, a negative? Well, it's, we describe it um, as a double-edged sword in the sense that there are good things about it because we can take care of ourselves, you know, we can accomplish a lot, we don't have a tendency to ask for help, that's certainly true of me, and divorce definitely runs in my family. The downside of it, Denise, is 
that we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable and really be open about our needs and what we want out of relationships. And that puts us in a bind because how does the other person know what we need and what we want if we don't tell them? So being vulnerable, and that's, that's another title in that chapter, you know, the importance of being vulnerable in small steps, is really critical to developing an intimate relationship that has trust and is going to last. The famous researcher Brene Brown has written many books about that. And once I started reading her book and realizing the importance of vulnerability, it dawned on me that I don't know what it's like to be interdependent. I know what it's like to be independent and take care of myself and have good relationships with my mom, who's now deceased, my sisters, my girlfriends. But still, after all these years, I sometimes struggle with what it means to give and take and to share and be vulnerable with my husband. And now I'm in my second marriage, and I'm having my 20th wedding anniversary and writing another book that's going to really hone in on a lot of those topics. It is true that we need to take care of ourselves and not be overly dependent on someone. I'm not proposing that, but I am saying you need to let your guard down sometimes and let someone in and, and allow them to nurture and support you in a really true, authentic way for you to be close and intimate with them. Does that make sense? It's very, very sound, very, very good advice. We're uh, here with Terry Gaspard, who's one of the co-authors of Daughters of Divorce. When we come back, I'm going to be asking Terry about her advice um, to the men that are listening to this. Uh, I think you're going to want to stay with us. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. At SarahCare, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to drmerrill at caughtbetweengenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. I am Dr. Merrill, and we're here with Terry Gaspard, who is the co-author of Daughters of Divorce, Overcome the Legacy of Your Parents' Breakup and Enjoy a Happy, Long, and Lasting Relationship. So, Terry, for the um, men that are listening, and, and even for the for the women, I mean, what is your advice um, to them? Um, because this is such a delicate issue of responding to daughters as you're going through divorce? Well, first of all, keep in mind that sometimes the best time to talk about tender topics like divorce is when you're not expecting it. So keep your eyes wide open and understand that your daughter or your granddaughter 
may not express her feelings openly. Girls tend to hide some of their emotions when they're negative, and they want, they want to be liked, they want to be loved, obviously, and to kind of not make waves in many cases, especially the younger girl under the age of 10. So allow plenty of time in your schedule. You know, you can ask a lot of open-ended questions. And keep in mind, if the daughter doesn't have access to her dad or to either one of her parents on a regular basis, She's more than likely to take that personally because that is the way our emotions run. There's a lot of research about the way girls' emotional development, and a lot, much of it is brain-based, actually, tends to be such that we hold on to memories, whether they be negative or positive. And sometimes it's just a good idea to set up some counseling time And if you see red flags, you know, like your daughter seems unusually sad or she's not engaged as much in friendships or activities, uh, she might share some of her feelings with someone else, with a professional counselor that that she wouldn't tell you because she doesn't want to hurt you or upset you. But really keep your ears and eyes open and, you know, use a lot of I messages, like I'm noticing you know, you're not quite yourself lately, I'm here for you, um, and try to avoid the you messages like, you know, you seem pretty down or whatever. And then just encourage a relationship, if you can, if, if her dad is, is in the picture at all, encourage her to have a relationship with her dad so that they have regular time together because there is plenty of evidence about that, the fact that that can be important in terms of how the, how the girl sees her and the young woman sees herself in the years to come as, an, as a, you know, really worthwhile woman. So if the father is not available or as available, I mean, can there, can other family members st- you know, step in and take that role, someone like a grandfather or an uncle, um, perhaps a stepfather, or it needs to be the original biological father. What, what's your opinion on that? It's definitely true. I mean, many stepfathers understand the importance, for instance, of being an adult mentor rather than coming on too strong as a disciplinarian. So if you're a stepdad and you're listening to this, take it slow, build a bond with your stepdaughter over time. Don't expect instant love. And just try to show interest in whatever her activities are. You know, even if she doesn't invite you to, you know, her play or her basketball game, try to figure out a way to get tickets. And over time, actually, stepfathers can be a big resource. Um, It's just initially it can be really hard. I can't tell you the number of women that told me that they found it really challenging when their moms got remarried. So if you take it slow and you don't come on strong with too many rules and, you know, too many, you know, times when you, you know, try to intervene when they're doing something wrong, focus on the things they do right and show interest, you can definitely be a support and a resource. And that's certainly true for grandfathers. Although granddads have a tendency uh, to pamper, you know, and, and want to, you know, be a little lenient, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good, a good role for grandfathers to play. Uncles, same thing. I know for myself, um, I had a grandfather who was very nurturing, but I also had a couple of male teachers that I looked up to when I was in fourth and fifth grade, and I still save my report cards and feel like that helped me have a good identity as a, you know, a student and a worthwhile person. So, yes, the answer is an affirmative. So you have um, in your book seven steps uh, mm-hmm. to a successful relationship, and, and we don't have a lot of time, unfortunately, but you, it, it's a great discussion and, and I think very detailed tips on explaining it and then what you can do. I want to ask you about one of these, though, and that is one of your um, seven steps is to revisit your parents' divorce as right. an adult. Um, mm-hmm. can, can you explain that just a little bit? Sure, because I think um, if you're under 18, especially if you're young, you don't tend to remember a lot of it, or your memories are somewhat distorted. 
For instance, really quickly, that was my case. I went back and I interviewed my own sisters and found out that their versions and their information about our parents' divorce was actually a little bit different than mine. And I found that highly informative. So if you can go back to family members or your parents and individually talk to them about that, some people keep diaries or journals, you find looking at it again as an adult allows you to move on and forgive because many times women hold on to grievances, especially towards their dad, but sometimes, you know, to one or both parents. And it doesn't allow you to really develop a close connection with them. So if you can go back and be a little less judgmental, I I would say, and take things less personally and try to give it time, try to, you know, reconnect with your parents, especially if there's been a wound in one of those relationships, and really examine your own relationships while you're doing that. And I have a questionnaire in the book that helps you do that. Just answering those questions can be very informative. And see, okay, do you have trust issues because you always wondered why your dad left or your mom left or why you, you know, you had a lot of uncertainty about feeling loved? Do you have difficulty communicating your wants and needs and wishes? Those are two central themes. Do you feel anxious or fearful when you're getting close to commitment, you know, because you wonder how can this possibly work out, kind of like a pessimistic attitude towards commitment. There are many themes in that chapter on revisiting your parents' divorce that can help you kind of gauge whether or not your past is still influencing you and to what extent. Terry, I... Terry, I'm I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but but we're really almost out of time. I mean, this has been great, and I highly recommend um, that you read Daughters of Divorce by Terry Gaspar. Do you have um, a blog, other information that you want to tell us about to contact you? Sure. It's it's fairly simple. If you log on to movingpastdivorce.com, that's movingpastdivorce.com. There are free blogs on there, and we also have links uh, to our Facebook page and Twitter. And I do write for the Gottman Institute. I write for Huffington Post, all the other things you talked about. So you see me out in the media a lot. And I also, you can, you can write me a question on my website, and I'll get back to you. I have coaching available. So just logging on to the website is a good thing to do. Thank you so much. It's Terry Gasper, G-A-S-P-A-R-D, the co-author of Daughters of Divorce. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's been great joining you. Thank you. This is Dr. Merrill, and you've been listening to Quote Between Generations. Thank you so much for joining us today. And remember to take really good care of yourself. You're very important to a lot of people. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management